Reading from John chapter 12, verses 17 to 36. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If, ever, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from the heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we have just testified that this is the word of the Lord. This is your word. You have not left us in the darkness, but have given us revelation. You have given us your word through the prophets and through the disciples, all the writers of scripture. You breathed your word onto these pages. And so, Lord, we have you speaking to us this morning. Enable us by the power of your spirit, Lord, to receive both the reading of your word and the proclamation of your word. Give to me the words to speak. Give to all of us, Lord, the ears and the minds, the hearts, the lives to receive this word. And your name will be exalted, Lord, and your church will be strengthened and built up to the glory of your name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As I said, the text, one text that we're focusing on is from 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in the passage that was just read, verse 23, 
Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Our title of the message this morning is The Glory of the Cross. Now when you think of glory, it's not an easy word to pin down or to define, uh, a rather nebulous word, and yet we all know it when we see it or experience it. Think about glory. What is glory? Um, It has to do with honor, winning, significance, accomplishment. Let me just give you uh, an illustration that might help uh, so you can kind of think about what glory is. Imagine it's the Stanley Cup final game. You're familiar with that. Good. And it's Calgary Flames against Edmonton. I don't know if you're an Edmonton fan or a Calgary fan, but it doesn't matter. Just picture that. Five seconds left on the clock. It's it's a tied score, and we're in overtime. The whole crowd is on the edge of their seats. And the Flames get down to the end. They shoot uh, the puck at the Edmonton uh, net, and then all of a sudden, this is in the movies, everything goes into slow motion. You can actually see the puck moving. Everything goes into slow motion, the crowd hushes, and the puck slips between the goalie's legs, and Calgary scores. Now, never going to (laughs) happen. Not this year. (laughs) But think about it. In that moment, what happens? There's a lot of people that are sad from Edmonton. But in that moment, the crowd, there's pandemonium. There's so much excitement. Everybody's so excited. We call that a moment of glory. You pass, you've been working, you've been studying, you've been, been doing everything, preparing for this big exam at the end of your, in fact, last time I was up here, I was being examined. That was five, five and a half, some years ago. This, this is, I've never preached in this church, and yet, remember Jim Zondervan? Some of you remember Pastor Jim? He and I went to seminary together. That, that just shows you how old I am. Because um, he was here as your pastor years ago. Anyway, why did I bring that up? Um, oh, the big exam. I remember preparing for that colloquial doctrine, they called it. And it was, for me, a moment of glory when all of a sudden it's over. And I've, I've, I've sustained it. You know those experiences. Maybe a beautiful sunrise or a sunset that takes your breath away a promotion, or something, a job that you receive. You get married. You hold your newborn baby in your hands. A worship service where the Lord took his word and pierced your heart, or he took a song and the word just spoke and you had, as it were, a glimpse of the eternity breaking in. 
a moment of glory. All moments of glory where we have a sense of purpose, life becomes very bright, there's meaning, there's accomplishment, there's significance. Glory actually translates the Hebrew word kabod. Kabod, you can actually define it as weightiness or being solid, being heavy, having significance, meaning, and purpose. We don't often think of all that when we think of the word glory. But the hippies, you remember the hippies back in the 60s and 70s? I was one of those, sort of. The long hair. And you know what they went around saying? If you were talking to them and if you said something that was really profound, they would say, that's heavy, man. That's really heavy. What were they saying? In a sense, they were saying, that's glorious. That has weight. That has substance. That has significance. First Samuel chapter 4, when the, you remember the story, when the Philistines overthrew the Israelites and they take the ark. Eli was, was the high priest. His daughter-in-law, right when all that was happening, her, her husband had been killed in battle. The daughter-in-law gives birth to a baby, a baby boy, and before she dies, she gives him the name Ichabod. Remember that? Ichabod means no glory or the glory has gone. Why did she do that? Because when the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the throne room of God, was taken by the Philistines, the glory of Israel, that which gave its weightiness and significance, was gone. And so she's called her child Ichabod. Now Jesus says, verse 23, now is my moment of glory. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you get the sense, now you're going to see something significant, something heavy, something weighty happening. You're going to see God at work. And you expect him then to speak of perhaps the resurrection or the ascension or his return to heaven. But what does he talk about? He talks about dying. And he talks about the cross. I mean, when you think about it, and when you think of glory, do you think of death? Do you think of a cross? No. Yet we sing hymns like, in the cross of Christ I glory. In the cross be my glory ever. Really? Really, is that true for us? Ask yourself this morning, what do you glory in? What gives you substance and weight, weightiness and purpose? Gives you a life of integrity and significance? What do you boast about? Where do you find your kabod, your weightiness, your significance? Oftentimes we find it where? Perhaps in our bank accounts. Perhaps in how beautiful our house is or how many houses we have or the possessions we own. Maybe the job we have, maybe in our family, all good things. What we profess is we say our weightiness, our significance, we find it from our God, from his promises, from his worship. But most of the time, too often, we find it from our moments of glory. When we win, when we do great things. 
from our works rather than his. His great work. His was the death on a cross. And he calls us to follow him and die. We're going to see what that means in a few moments. But first of all, I want you to see that his hour, his moment of glory, that which all the prophets testified to, that which everything was building up toward, his moment of glory, when he was glorified and the Father was glorified, is the cross. And John said, chapter 1, verse 14, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Where? Where did John see it? You can say, well, generally he saw it because he saw Christ do miracles and he saw you know, the ministry of Christ. That's true. But where specifically? John makes the point. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Where did John see it? God the king had put on. God the king who had left the glories of heaven in obedience to the Father. He left the glories of heaven that high and significant weighty place where he was recognized by all the angels as the very son of God. He left the glories of heaven and he put on servants' clothes. He became like unto us except without sin. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the son is the radiance The Son is the radiancy of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But he kind of covered it. It was hidden. He took on our human nature and the world did not recognize him. Fully God yet hidden, camouflaged by the human nature. Now we see it break out now and then. We see it at his birth. The angels declare his glory to the shepherds. But interestingly enough, John, the gospel writer, the apostle, he doesn't write about that. He doesn't record the birth. There's miracles done. John records some of the miracles. But they're only recorded. The only purpose of it is so that people will believe that Jesus, this Nazarene, is God. Now at the transfiguration, it's Peter, John, and James on the mount. They see Jesus glow, literally glow, radiant. But though John is the only one of these who writes a gospel, he doesn't record that event either. So we ask John, where have you seen his glory full of grace and truth? How is the glory of the Messiah revealed? Simply, everything worked toward the cross. That's the emphasis of our passage. It begins... We read about that where it's instigated by the Greeks or the Gentiles coming to Philip and they say to him, we would like to see Jesus. Why? Well, they had heard he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now that, now we're talking power. Now we're talking heavy, man. That's significant. You raise somebody from the dead. No wonder the Greeks have come and they say, we want to see Jesus. And what's Jesus' response? Verse 23, he says, okay, This is the hour for me to be glorified. You get the sense we're going to pull out all the stops, reveal that he is God, 
We're going to show everyone, he's going to show everyone glory. That he is from the glories of heaven. That he is the son of God. He is God incarnate in the flesh. And you can almost hear the disciples who have been following him these three years. Okay, yes. Now we're going to show these Pharisees. Now we're going to show these Roman authorities that we have been on the right side all along. We have been the underdog so far. We'll show them Jesus' glory, that he is from heaven, that he is God. We're taking the roof off. This is our time of glory too. And then you read verse 24. I'm reading from the NIV uh, 1984 edition. Jesus says, after he says, now's the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He says, now is my time of glory. And you can see the disciples getting excited. And then he talks about dying, death. The roof crashes in for the disciples. He's talking of the necessity of dying in order for the seed himself to produce many seeds. We call this the principle of the seed. In order for the seed to be fruitful, it must die. It must go in the ground and die in order to produce the fruit of a new plant and be fruitful and produce many seeds. Then in verse 27, he talks of his heart being troubled and being saved from this hour. doesn't make sense you think about those poor disciples this is the hour of glory this is the hour where we're taking the roof off this is the hour when everyone's going to see Jesus the Messiah this Nazarene is God what do we read verse 28 father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it and will glorify it again the crowd that was there heard it and said he, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Now we tend to think when we read that, when the Father says, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again, we tend to think of what he's talking about after the cross, maybe the resurrection, the ascension. But look at verses 30 to 33. Jesus said, the, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Even with the words, when I am lifted up, he's not talking about being lifted up and putting in the clouds of glory or being put on the throne. He's talking about the cross. And the crowds understand this. They say in verse 30, 34, how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up because we know from the law, the first five books of Moses, the Messiah will remain forever. He can't die. What's the point? What is Jesus communicating to his disciples but also to the Greeks and Gentiles and to you and me. Where does John see the glory? Where is the Son of Man glorified and the Father glorified? Where are the Greeks, the Gentiles, you and me to see Jesus the Messiah, to see his glory, see his significance, his weightiness, his, his victory? Where? When he was lifted up. 
in the darkest, most forsaken, most cursed place in all world history, in all the world, in the place where God's judgment fell on the center cross. That's where he was glorified. That's where the Father was glorified. Jesus said, verse 31, now is the time for the judgment on this world. What blows us away is that not only was the judgment that came upon the world from the Father, it came upon the center cross. For three hours, even the cosmic lights shut down. A hush fell on the universe as the Savior bore that judgment in our place. And yet in that black hole, literally in the darkest place in history, the glory of God shone brighter than it ever had or ever will. As John said, full of truth and grace. When he died on the cross, they saw the glory of God. Everything that had been working from the past worked up to that point, and everything that flows flows out of from that point. Full of truth and grace. Never did we see greater truth than on the cross. There God's righteousness, his holiness was fully displayed. Not one sin was excused, rationalized, blamed on someone else. No cover up, no facades, nothing was swept under the rug. There our sin was fully exposed. There justice was fully served. Every one of our sins was fully paid for. Justice, truth. And so too, never did we see and have we ever seen greater display of love and grace than on the cross because there we see a father who loves us so much that he's willing to give his only son and there see a son willing to die for his brothers and sisters in order to gain for us complete salvation and to make us the children of God. You see, the greatest act of justice and righteousness and truth and of love and of grace kissed on the cross. That's why the Father says to Jesus, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Where? On the cross. In those hours on the cross, all went into slow motion. The universe held its breath. And what seemed in the eyes of the world to be defeat was in fact victory. The second Adam left the glories of heaven, was willing to take on human nature to be a slave, Philippians chapter 2, and he became obedient, obedient even unto death, the death of a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Christ the Lord. And the prince of darkness of this world, verse 31, was driven out, he was defeated. In verse 32, Jesus draws all men, Jews and Gentiles, from every tribe, race, and nation to himself. At the cross, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you might say, so what? So what? So we have seen Christ's hour or moment of glory. We all know this. We've all heard this. But have you understood it to be the most significant, weighty, 
glorious thing that reveals God, full truth and full grace ever in history, but not only in history, not only in the whole universe, but in your heart and in your life and my life. We don't have time to read it. But this same apostle who wrote this, who says, I have seen, we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. He also had visions. Revelation chapter, the whole book of Revelation, but Revelation chapter 5, do you remember John? He has his vision and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps because why? He's crying because there is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth has been found who can open the scroll and unravel the redemption of God, the plan of Otherwise, it's all a waste. Otherwise, all of it, the whole universe, it's all vanity, saith the preacher. It's all senseless. There's no weight. Ichabod, it's, it's gone. There's no glory. It's empty. He weeps because no one is found, and then you know the story. The elder says, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And what, is John, what do we read in John? What did John see? He says, I saw a lion coming forward. Is that what he saw? I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Do you understand? Then all of heaven breaks into this great glorious song of praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power and praise. Why? Because in that moment, when he went to the cross, he gave up the glories of heaven to become a human. He was obedient to the will. Of, he was the second Adam. He, he, didn't, he didn't give in to disobedience. He was obedient to the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was that he would go to the cross. If he hadn't gone to the cross, it would have been a complete, there would be no one worthy who could open the scroll to bring salvation and redemption to this universe. There would be no new heavens and new earth. There would be no hope after you die of going to glory. Nothing. Everything hinged. On the cross. And John is told, don't weep. Because he was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Therefore, every knee will bow. Talk about the moment of glory when Jesus was glorified and God the Father was glorified by the obedience of his son. What we're talking about is the most significant, most weighty, most glorious, meaningful thing that's ever happened by God's intent, by God's plan. Now, what does that mean for our moments of glory? Let me ask you again, what do you boast about? What do you glory in? If someone said of you, we have seen his or her glory, what did they see? Where do we try to find glory? Where do we try to give our lives significance and weightiness and meaning? What's your proudest moment? It's so often in what we do or what we possess. The world says you are what you do. Jesus says you do what you are. 
Let me ask you, what's the chief end? What's the purpose of man? According to the Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the question is, how do we do this? We tend to think by us doing great things for God or making great sacrifices for God or living great lives of obedience for God. He did for us, didn't he, on the cross? So therefore, we should do for him. But look at what Jesus talks about, verses 25 and 26. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Hating one's life. Serving Jesus by what? Following him. Where did he go? He went to a cross. Mark 8, verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What's being asked of us? How do you experience the glory of the cross? You got to die. Just like we're talking the principle of the seed. The seed, if you're going to be fruitful, if you're going to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to have to die. The seed has to die. We have to die. It's a call to die to self. As one pastor puts it, we have to die to our self-salvation projects. You see, so much of our life, so much of our time is often spent on making moments of glory for ourselves, proving that we're somebody, and that we're good. You want to be somebody? You want to be somebody that's great and grand? How many of you are children of God? By faith in Jesus Christ, you should all be raising your hands unless you're not a believer. You don't get any higher than that. You don't get more significant than that. You don't gain more meaning than that. Being a child of God, a prince or a princess of the almighty living God. It doesn't get better than that. What do you brag about? I used to, when I first started ministry, spend one day a week salmon fishing. You know what the problem with catching a 15-pound salmon is? After you catch one, you got to catch another. You had this moment of glory. I can remember pulling my first one, and we took pictures. Beautiful fish. There's nothing like it. Well, <laughs> doesn't matter. Once you catch one, you got to catch another. Then you got to catch another, and you got to catch another. You know what? If you're a baseball player and you hit a home run, what's expected of you? You got to hit another one and another one. The spirit of man is making a name for ourselves, trying to gain life, significance, glory, kabod from ourself and from our own works. And moments of glory, hear this are never lasting. Not everlasting, they're never lasting. 
But glory in Christ, glory in his cross. My only comfort in life and death. What is it? I belong body and soul to my... What gives my life significance and meaning and purpose? What gives it weightiness? Glory. Not from what I do. What I accomplish. But from Christ. So to say, I glory in the cross means, first, we have faith. We rest in Christ if you have nothing else, no more moments of glory and nothing wrong with having moments of glory in our lives, God gives us those. We have those glimpses of eternity, as it were. Nothing wrong with that. But if you have no more, if you're stuck in the hospital the rest of your life, you fail in your business or you fail in school, if you accomplish nothing with the rest of your life, what do you have as a believer? My only comfort in life and death is I belong body and soul. What gives you weightiness? What gives you significance that will last you into eternity is that you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's good enough. John Piper, in a sermon on this, we glory in the cross. Why? For this reason, for redeemed sinners, every good thing, indeed every bad thing that God turns for our good was obtained for us by the cross of Christ. Apart from the death of Christ, sinners get nothing but judgment. Apart from the cross of Christ, there is only condemnation. Therefore, everything that you enjoy in Christ as a Christian, as a person who trusts in Christ, is owing to the death of Christ. If he did not die, if he wasn't obedient, we have nothing. We're going to hell. And all your rejoicing in all things should therefore be a rejoicing in the cross where all your blessings were purchased for you at the cost of the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we are not as Christ-centered and cross-saturated as we should be is that we have not realized that everything, everything good and everything bad that God turns for our good for the good of his redeemed children was purchased by the death of Christ for us. Number one, what does it mean to say I glory in the cross of Christ? It means I rest in Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are, you have abundant life, you have eternal life, you are in Christ. And number two, faith and repentance are the two steps of the Christian life. I glory I glory in dying. Less of me, more of Christ. You see, too often we think of Jesus and we refer to him as the bridge and we, you begin that, that Christian life uh, and, and when you first come and commit and you, re you recognize the depth of your own sin and you realize there's a chasm between you and God and Jesus is the bridge that covers that. And then as you walk the Christian life and as you live in fellowship with believers and in God's word and, and your life is changed and t certain temptations don't have the, the same power over you, you start to think after a while you're getting better and you're getting, you're getting, you're getting good. And pretty soon that seems like that chasm of sin that separated you from God is not so big and that bridge gets smaller. The bridge who is Christ. But that is wrong. It's more like a river. When we first meet Christ, it's like the beginning of a river. And a river, when it begins, it's small. But by the time it gets to the ocean, it's huge. By the time you die, as you walk and have fellowship with the light, 
He's going to expose more and more of your darkness, your, and your, your false motives, your, your, your sin, the things that you are covering up. The more and more you grow in fellowship, you don't get better. Oh, you, you may not do as many sins as you used to do, but what you see more and more is how sinful your heart is. But how big, at the same time, how big. The bridge keeps getting bigger. Christ keeps getting bigger. You see, our responsibility is to die. Die to ourselves. We like to present in terms of our witness and our strengths, not our struggles. We like to show our victorious Christian life, our goodness. What do people who are broken in their sin want to hear from you? Not how good you are. Not how you've accomplished it. Now have you changed and you've got the victorious Christian life. What they want to hear about is how you also are a sinner who struggles with that sin or have struggled with that sin, but you came to Christ. We didn't come to know and see Christ in his glory because we came full of what we were going to bring to God. We came humble, empty, broken, repenting of our sin. We were confronted with the truth and we fell on his mercy. We bring our sin and our shame, not our glory. Nothing in my hands I bring, said the hymn writer, simply to thy cross I cling. What's our glory? What do you boast about? What gives us joy? What gives us hope? What gives us forgiveness? What gives us kabod, weightiness, meaning and purpose and significance to this life? It's the cross of Christ. What Jesus has done and who he is, it's all of God. Let me close with this. What's the color of your robe of righteousness? Thank you. White, white as snow. Black, the color black absorbs. You know that all the colors are in, in light and, and black absorbs everything. It takes the glory, it's, it's a narcissism that takes all the glory for self. But white, we wear robes of white of the righteous of Jesus Christ that reflect back. We're white because we don't take it for ourselves. We give the glory to Christ. Paul says, Galatians 6, I boast, I glory in nothing except the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's our profession? Not Ichabod. Not the glory has departed, but kabod in Christ. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this great grand salvation that you accomplished on the cross is not just something someday, not something we just talk about in church, but gives our lives weightiness, glory, significance. Lord, help us. Where we have been boasting about our idols, 
where we end sucking life from other people or from things or from our jobs or and not from you, forgive us. Help us to live by faith. Help us to repent. Be open. Let that light pierce the darkness of our souls so that we can see where it is. We are sucking in the glory, seeking to gain by our own works, happiness, joy, significance. Help us to remember it's ours by faith because we're in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross. Thank you that you were obedient even unto death. Thank you that by your grace we have bent the knee and called you Savior and Lord. In your name we pray, amen.